90% of the time, I have no idea what I'm talking about. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. It's nice. Gets the people going. You're now listening to Diagnonsense. Look at all this damage! With Justin Pendergrass and Kurt Honak. You are a sad, strange little man. Then we would just be idiots saying nonsense. Too. What are you laughing at, Isaac? Uh, What's so funny, bro? Nothing. So much. You talking smack over there? No. Yeah. Isaac, dude. No wearing hats backwards in the building. Oh yeah. 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 It's against my religion. It's a good thing this is an audio podcast. Yeah. Examine this. Examine the plank in your own eye before you look at my speck of sawdust. Bro, the log's in there. I'm not trying to take the log out. It's still there. But that speck you got going, it's a pretty big speck. Pretty big speck? Yeah. All right. This isn't the soft open. We haven't even started yet. No. Kurt's not even ready. Kurt's, not even Kurt's ready. got his notebook. What if we did start right now, though? I'm ready. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in to Diagnonsense. I'm your host, Justin Pendergrass. I'm here with my co-host, Kurt Honak. How you doing, Kurt? I'm doing great. Yeah, we're today we're going to talk to Jay Dagenhart, our outreach coordinator here at my house, and we're going to ask him some questions just about, you know, uh, his upbringing, his life, and really what brought him here and, you know, his experience with mental health. How you doing, Jay? What's going I'm on? I'm doing well. Good to be here. Yeah, man. Um, housekeeping. I'm not going to do housekeeping because I don't want Isaac to actually talk on this podcast. There's three of us here. <laughs> so we have a couple <laughs> things going on here at my house. Uh, <laughs> uh, so... Today, which is not going to be relevant when this podcast comes out, but it's kind of like, you know, you can do this later in the month. We're doing the uh, community cleanup here with our staff members and volunteers. Uh, So I think when this podcast is releasing, you still might be able to get some trash bags from City Hall. So go grab some, uh, go out, clean up some stuff around your neighborhood, your area. Everyone chipping in helps everything else look nice. Uh, Do be careful, though, when you're going out. We talked about this in the monthly update. Uh, gloves, grabbers, and a thing to dispose of sharps with. That's the three big things. We're going to have them today. Remember, if you're picking up any needles or anything like that, uh, safety first, and ideally you're not touching those, even with gloves on, and then also make sure you have a container to dispose of those and take them to where they're supposed to be. Those get special uh disposal. Hey, Kurt, give them a quick rundown on what they can use for those containers if they don't have a regular sharps. Um, well, yeah, ideally you have like a sharps or a biohazard because those have to be processed as a, as a biohazard. So, um, but, uh, usually if, you know, for us, we just use really thick plastic, like something that's, you know, like won't, won't, bottle won't be penetrated. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, Gatorade bottle. I don't know if a Gatorade bottle would be. I pref- I would prefer something that's more like along the lines of something you would pick up from like a hardware store that's like a bucket or something that you know is is you know if you're going to be doing a lot of cleanup uh, like a really thick. But in a moment of um, necessity, you could grab a Gatorade bottle, throw them in there, and then replace it later. I I I don't know. You don't. <laughs> okay. on the, I mean, I the put them in a Gatorade bottles. bottle. How before. have you? Okay. Okay. Have you, Jay? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can do that. You could use uh, like a. Some people even use uh, milk cartons. Yeah. Yep. Just See, something to get it to the next spot, and then you can. Yeah, you can get dispose it of it however it needs to be after that. Mm-hmm. But putting it in a place where you're not going to have yeah. the least yeah. amount of 
poking and yeah. um, I think like the, a Gatorade bottle isn't ideal, but anything's better than nothing. Right. I think the 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 main idea is just to make sure that it's in a safe place so that it's not accessible to children or or not going to be um you know um accidentally uh, tampered with. Yeah, of course. And you said that you're gonna you have gloves here, don't you, for us yeah. to be able to use. I do. I have you. You need the thicker ones. Um, what I was told was that none of the gloves. Are, there's not fentanyl proof gloves because the fentanyl can absorb through gloves. So if you're doing cleanup, uh, you know I tell everybody on, for our staff, you know we should double glove um, and then you know use the grabber. Like ideally, you always use the grabber um, so that you're not making direct contact with anything. And then anything uh, like double masking. <laughs> I don't know. Just mm. with, <laughs> not, not the Let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> with the grabber, just go down to Fred Meyer, get yourself a little T-Rex one, and then cleaning up used needles is a fun activity for the whole family. No. And if you're not making the T-Rex noise, you're not actually allowed to use it. Yes. Uh, okay, podcast side of things. <laughs> we just had part two of Alicia Buzz episode on Redemption Go out a couple weeks ago. And then part two of My Voice with one of our staff members just came out as well. And those are the two, uh, you know, kind of the first two big um, two-part episodes we've done on any of the shows. So make sure you're tuning in for those. And then coming out, uh, I believe it'll be um, next week after this episode's dropping, maybe within just a couple of days we have maybe the biggest guest we've had on any of the podcasts coming on to uh, the My House podcast. So make sure you're staying tuned for that. I believe the drop date for that episode is Wednesday the 25th. So Wednesday the 25th, make sure you're tuning into My House podcast. Sorry, Jay, you're not our biggest guest. No, that's okay. <coughs> you can Who? be our I'm the biggest guest. Is it like a to secret? Date. Yes. Today. We're keeping it kind yeah. of a secret. Yeah. It is a secret. It's a super secret. And I know the secret. I know who it is. Yeah. Well, is it Bruce Wayne? No. No. <laughs> we're not doing Batman again. Listen, I love the Batman episode, but we're not doing Batman. I'm all Batman. That was out. a filler episode. You know, it was like we were still right in the next one. I don't know if that was a filler episode. I thought. I, I thought, thought it was fun. I liked it. It's still canon. It's, it's still canon. <laughs> it's still canon. This is the filler episode. <laughs> Listen, there were some there was some great character development that happened in that episode between the three of our characters. So <laughs> yeah. in this simulation of a podcast. Oh my gosh. Hey Jay, so we want to talk to you about some stuff. Let give me a I know you, but I don't know that our listeners are gonna know you very well. So I just wanna start at the beginning. Tell us about where you grew up, you know, your upbringing, your family, uh, and then kind of like ease into the life that you're in now, and then we'll start asking you some questions just about the mental health things and, and about your job. Sure, yeah. I uh, I grew up in rural Virginia and um, met my wife there, and we got married in, way back in 1994. Jesus. Uh, you no. guys probably weren't even born. <laughs> none Negative. Of, none of the I three in the room were not born by I then. was born, Jay. No. Yeah, 92, bro. Okay, close. Anyway, yeah, I could be your dad, but anyway, jeez. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, was I didn't know that this was that kind of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> got got married, and we had three kids, and uh, I actually uh, felt called towards ministry back in 1999. So I uh, quit a great paying job, and we sold our house that we had just built, and moved to North Carolina, and uh, <laughs> went to college and seminary there, and. 
pastor churches there, and then kind of felt the the, the draw towards missions uh, in about 2009 and 10, and then came up he- here to Alaska on a mission trip, actually, in uh, 2010. And uh, we decided to sell everything we had and drag our three kids and our dog and our chinchilla and come to Alaska. And uh, we started a church here. And I actually met uh, Michelle Overstreet, our executive director, uh, through a friend that we had in Virginia. Her cousin lived here in Wasilla. And uh, she, I met her and she goes, hey, you need to meet this lady, Michelle. And so my wife and I met Michelle when she was over at Burchell High School. And uh, I joke with her and I say, you had me at hello. Uh, but she began to tell me about the vision because my house had, had, was just sort of a vision at that time. In, in yeah, just a conversation. It was. And so um, I actually came on as one of the founding board members. Uh, and then uh, our first, I became our first full-time employee in 2013 as the outreach coordinator. And yeah. uh, so... This is my second stint. We actually moved away, moved back to Virginia for oh, a little over three years, and I came back in uh, 2020. So it's good to have you back, though, yeah, Jay. Because good, uh, good to be back. You know, I I didn't know you when I I knew you, but I didn't know you as well back when you were first working here. Um, you know, I think I met you in 2016. Um, when did you leave? 2016. Seven, 17. Okay, yeah. so it was shortly before you had left. Yeah. And um, I didn't know you very well, but coming back, and I'd always heard good things about the work that you did and, you know, just your love for this community and your ability to just connect with those out there. So um, it's good to have you back. And really what we wanted to talk to you about is just that um, kind of like your upbringing and, you know, the mental health stuff that, you know, hit you in your life. I know that you're a Seahawks fan, so there's got to be a lot of mental health problems. Actually, yeah, the um, Super Bowl <laughs> loss. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm still scared. It was scarred. second down. All you had to do was run the Marshawn ball. Lynch <laughs> was the best running back in the league, bar Ridiculous. none. And then you had a timeout. You I, had a timeout. I curled up in a ball, like in the floor. And just, <laughs> I, I think called out to work for three weeks straight. I mean, it was bad. Yeah. It's going to be a rough season this yeah, year, too. It is. We got rid of Russell Wilson. Uh, I didn't mean to take it this no, far. We're okay. going too far into it's the depths. It's okay. <laughs> but, it's supposed but, to be a hopeful podcast. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, having having worked in this field for so long or whatever, I, I'm by no means a, a, a mental health specialist. You just, you adapt. You know, you you deal with so many people that are struggling and so many people that are going through difficult times in their life. And... Uh, learn you learn how to uh, to work with them and and how to help them uh, take steps uh, when they can't see a step in front of them but I've also learned through my own life uh, things that have happened to me I've lost lost a sister to uh, to suicide and several good friends and things like that so you, you you have to deal with your own mental health issues as well and so it helps you to learn how to help others because you've walked those steps and you, you know how to deal with it every day. Yeah. Do you think that because of this job, you've actually built up a uh, more empathy? Oh, by, by far. Yes. Uh, and, and when, when you yourself have walked through that and, and you know what a person's going through, it's not just say, telling someone you'll get through it. You know, they'll get through it because you got through it. And so I think you definitely become more empathetic 
Yeah. So I know that you and Kurt have a little bit of uh, more of a history than even yourself and I do. Um, so what what was it like when, um, you know, Michelle started opening up the businesses and you started seeing like really the impact that that was having on the young people? I know, that Kurt, you used to run the cafe. Yeah. 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 And so Jay was doing his outreach stuff. And so we you know, I'd be like training different people. And, uh, we, uh, sometimes we do, I think we did a few booths together, just like, you know, I'd be doing coffee or something. And then Jay would be there with his outreach stuff. And so we we're doing a lot of, you know, on when, when we got sent somewhere, it'd be like a lot of, we got a lot of time to just kind of hang out and, and talk. So that, that was pretty cool. And, uh, it was, it was cool just like, because we were, you know, building it, it was, um, we, we've been, we've been on board since and watched this whole thing kind of, kind of unfold. And it's been, it's been really cool to have Jay. You need to have outreach for like when you're building an organization, like people, you know, there's a lot of awareness that has to be built and, um, networking and stuff. And, and Jay's always been really awesome about that. Yeah. Would you, uh, would you say that this organization has helped you grow as a person as well as, you know, a father and a pastor. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, it, it, it's helped me to kind of get get out of, uh, you know, I, I joke that I have a bubble. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't like people near me sometimes or whatever. And so being doing outreach and being out in the public all the time, it's helped me to sort of branch out of that and, and become more uh, of a public person and, and doing a lot of public speaking and representing my house when we go out. I speak at a lot of meetings and coalitions and things like that. And so it's definitely helped me to branch out in, the, in that department. But I actually, I, I don't know whether Kurt remembers me, but I, I, I remember him from when he was running the, the, the uh, coffee shop at Burchell High School oh, back wow. when he was in yeah. high school. So. Some of that was a little bit of a blur for yeah. me because I went through withdrawal and that can, I mean, I've, I've read that it can affect your memory. And like, I do remember, I remember like, you know, obviously like being at the coffee shop and serving <laughs> like people, but but like I was just going through so much stuff in that. So, so, so people were kind of like are in and out of there in terms of my memory, you well, know, it's just I mean, like, cause I was meeting so many people and, and like yeah. doing a lot of different stuff, but it was a hard time for me when, when Jay, yeah. When, when, when we were first getting this started, like the first few years, um, even, even like up until me coming back, like I'm, I'm doing better than, you know, what I want to, you know, that time and that yeah. time, you know, so. That's, that's actually uh, a perfect segue into my next question: the growth that do you, the growth that you've had since coming to this organization, Jay. What what would you say? Where would you say you were at before this organization? And like, as far as like feeling like you're living within a purpose and um, fulfilling that, even you know in your day job, where would you say you were, and uh, where would you say you feel you are now? Well, I, you know, I, I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and so part of that I, I felt was definitely my, my calling. But uh, I told Michelle when, when I got to my house, it was it was a different type of ministry for me, e- even though we're not a religiously, you know, organization or anything sure. like that. Um, it, it gave me purpose in life that um, when I could see somebody out on the streets and and share a business card with them and tell them about what we do and they could actually come in here 
and you could watch their life change uh, because somebody cared about them. And, and we had case managers that could pour into them and staff that could pour into them and they could get the services that they need, the mental health, behavioral health, and substance abuse uh, treatment that they needed. You could see their lives change, and that changes you because you're knowing that, that what you do every day matters and, yeah. and, and you have purpose. And I, 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 the older I get, I think I, it means more to me. I don't want to waste days. I want to know that every day that what you're doing matters and it's significant. Well, I, I can definitely see that what you're doing, Jay, does matter as a case manager here. I do see the outcomes and the things, you know, um, even if you just go and you speak at a school and two years from now that person comes in, that, you know, that was a success. That was somebody who's like, okay, hey, I know about this place and I'm going to come in and I'm going to get the help that I need. So you mentioned early on in the in the podcast that you'd lost your sister to suicide and... um with, I don't want to go too deep into that because I don't want to rehash anything for you, but I, I'm wondering like, um, what the process of your healing looked like, um, how you found um, your peace in all of those, because I know that you've experienced a lot of loss in your life, but I do also know that you've experienced a lot of gain and happiness as well. Um, but I want to touch on that loss for a second, and I just want to know like, uh, what was your process in finding... Um, the hope on the other side of the hardship. You know, that's, that's a great question. Um, I actually, I've lost both of my siblings. My, my brother was murdered about 20 some years ago by his ex-wife. And then, uh, my father had passed away. And then when my sister, um, took her own life, um, that it's just something different with siblings. I, I think, uh, as opposed to any other loss that I've had. Um, I, for me, it was really tough because, you you know, being the pastor, everybody, even when I went home, everybody was waiting. It took me 24 hours to get home after her death, and everybody was waiting on me. When I got there, there was family at the house, and somehow they were looking to me to make it better, which, you know, in hindsight, it's unfair to put somebody in that situation, but sure. I, I have to accept that as a pastor so it was really tough for me. Uh, I had 24 hours to grieve with my wife before I got there. And so... Um, and then it was like game then on. Then it was game on. Yeah. We had to plan the funeral. I actually preached her funeral. Um, uh, and so uh, it's been, a, it's been a, a process, really. There, there are times when uh, I feel like I'm doing really well with it. And then there are other times when just a memory comes up or something from her and, and you kind of... Um, a ball up in a in a ball and just have to take a moment to feel do. through it yeah but it, i think the hardest part uh is just that people expect you uh, as a pastor to have it all together uh, whenever i do a funeral whenever doing anything like that and you have to find ways to act like you're okay even when you're not and that's it's not fair but it is what it is yeah i think that uh that's actually a really interesting thing why uh why do we expect our pastors to have it all together? Um, I, I am also in ministry, and, and I travel a lot and do a lot of things, and I don't have it all together, and I actually tell them that from the stage. Right. Because I want people to know that I'm a human first, and as a pastor, it doesn't make me perfect, and as somebody who's out there preaching and doing those things, it's because I'm doing that because I am imperfect. Sure. And I'm hurt. And I'm broken, and I know that there's a way to heal, and there's a way to get through it. 
And I cannot show you that without showing you the broken me. So it's interesting that you say, you know, even as a pastor, like you have to kind of like close yourself off in a sense. But I would like to see pastors open up to their congregations more and be vulnerable and broken to them. I think that that would be more powerful and more accepted than, I mean, right now, maybe not, because there's a lot of like, (laughs) there's a lot of judgment within the church when it comes to like uh, somebody who's struggling. But I feel like if a pastor had a place to open up, we would have less pastors um, falling into the temptation that, you know, um, because they'd be like, hey, I'm struggling, you know, like I'm really interested in my secretary, but I'm married, right? Like if a pastor came to you and said that, what would your first thing be? Yeah, I, I, I do think it's it's unfair that's you know, for years and years and maybe generations, we've put pastors on these pedestals and, and we're not. Like you said, we're just broken people, uh, uh, you know. I feel like that old saying, you know, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where I got the bread, you know, yeah. when, it, when it comes to faith. And so it, even though it's not fair, it, it it is one of those things. I found myself in the last probably five or six years being very vulnerable on social media. Um, there, there's a lot of people, in, you know, in 20 years of ministry, you've befriended a lot of people in, all over the country and things like that. And so um, it's been very helpful, I think, to other people to see me being about my sister's loss and we had a a, a young man who was like a, a son to me that took his own life and I counseled him through that and uh, st- and it wasn't enough to, to help him to, to stay and so I, I've, I've been very vocal um, through social media about that about how I feel in that and it seems to resonate yeah I guess I I have another question sorry Kurt I just hop in whenever. No, no, it's just interesting listening um, because, you know, we, we talked about, you know, purposeful pain and theology and like how that is very human. You know, that's a very human experience. So yeah. I just, I just feel like, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm listening. Uh, but um, I think that uh, that's all valid and uh, like, you know, you're those just are processing. All valid, yeah. Those are all valid uh, experiences that people have. And, and I think that if you don't, um, you know, if you don't, you know, that's, that's, to me, that's the problem with a lot of approaches to mental health is like, we have this symbolic, like, um, perfection, you know, and it's just, it's not, we're human beings, you know, and it's just, I just don't feel like it's, it's attainable, you know? Well, and I mean, even the conversation is, is that like, we can't be perfect, but then we expect our pastors to be right. And it blows my mind. But because we're not. We're not. I, I'm. I'm the least perfect person in. This I imagine room that right you now. struggle with a lot of the similar things that um, the sure. lowest person in your congregation struggles with, and not sure. not like low as in like uh, you know like they're less than low as in like the they're beaten down and they're hurting. Right. And um, you know, I, I imagine that you're struggling with the exact same things. You have a mental health. You have a family and a job outside of this. You have bills. You have a car that's not working or breaking down all the time. You know, and then we shame people if their car's breaking down or something like that. And we're like, hey, you know, uh, your car's not breaking down. Your car broke down because you're not praying enough. You're not right with right. God right now. And that's actually not true. Um, <laughs> my favorite thing when somebody is sharing with me or, or they're breaking down or they're having an emotional moment, I, I don't try to fix it. I, <laughs> all I tell them is it's okay. It's okay. 
Yeah, and of that's, course that's, you feel I, that I, way. I, <laughs> Your I, life is hard, you know. I, I, you know, but but in that moment, that seems to be helpful to say it's okay. It's okay to feel the way they're feeling. It's okay to be down. It's okay to struggle, um, and 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 not have it all together. I think that really ties in well to something that um, we were talking about a couple days ago, which was kind of the whole reason why um, we wanted to have this conversation today anyway, is um, you were talking about the myth of happiness um, in a conversation here in the building. And yeah. That, I mean, that right there is is directly correlates to that i think that idea of no yeah of course yeah we live in this society where you're supposed to be happy you see it in slogans you see it in commercials you know uh they even wrote a song about it just be happy you know Mm -hmm. and and i remember uh, specifically with my sister and she went through four divorces and every time after she was she was ready to end the divorce she would call me for some reason and she would let me know hey uh, this is where we're at, and 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 I'm gonna leave. And and she did. She left all four of her husbands. And it was the I would ask her like, what's going on? And and her thing was always, I'm not happy. And my response every single time was, you know, you're you're striving for something that's unattainable. Happiness is an emotion. Emotions are based on circumstances, and circumstances change. So if your everyday goal is to just be happy, you may be happy for 10 minutes. And then somebody comes in and tells you you're fat or ugly or stupid or you're not doing your job or you get bad news, you get something to do with your health, your, your mate doesn't treat you the way you want, your friends don't like you, whatever it is, then you're not happy. And if you strive for peace, which peace can mean different things to different people. It can be a faith aspect. It could be something just a state of mind it could be tranquility it could be whatever it is peace is attainable but happiness is so fleeting happiness (coughs) is strictly based on how your day is going how your month is going how your finances are going your job and that stuff changes so I, I, i i always encouraged her she never could get it um and i encourage anybody that i that i talk with or counsel with don't strive to be happy because if you're at peace, you're, you're naturally going to have a happiness about you. And, I, and even in the midst of losing my, my brother and my sister and my dad and my, my friend Michael, uh, I, I could still say I was at peace. I, I wasn't happy. I, I was struggling inside. But I, I had this thing inside of me that said it's going to be okay. Yeah, I'm going to make it. That's interesting. I like that you said that happiness is... Sorry, I'm trying to remember the exact wording that you said. You said happiness is fleeting, but peace is consistent. Peace yeah. is something that you can attain because you can obtain consistently. Because it's a state of mind. Because it's a state of mind, yeah. right? Happiness so when, is not. When people walk up to you and they're like, hey, how are you doing? You know, um, I'm on this new kick where I just tell them yeah. where I'm at. Sure. Right? If you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Today, I'm having a really hard time. I'm not going to just tell you I'm okay just to get you to leave me alone. Right. If you're asking me if I'm fine, you better be pre- you better be prepared to have the conversation, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that that's just something that's kind of got lost. 
mm. along the way. Right, Kurt? Well, I, I think it reminds me of an – I saw an Alan Watts skit about um, – he was talking about um, the pursuit of pleasure and how that can make people miserable because – one of the things that you want to do when you obtain pleasure is to obtain more pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> and so you get into this <laughs> feedback cycle of like, so when like never ending feedback cycle of like chasing that. And then, and then like he talks about how, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about like that can lead you into hell and you can be stuck in the hells. And uh, <laughs> it, that's what it reminds me of, you know, um, because um, you know, peace. Yeah. When you talk about peace like that, um, you know, that's that's pretty obtainable, and usually that is is a is like a, a low hanging fruit of being okay with everything. I think versus versus like obtaining this ideal of like happiness, which is kind of like like heaven. Like that's how we envision heaven, right? Is like yeah, I'm happy all the time. Life is pleasurable. There's no pain. There's no like. I think that you have to be realistic too. Um, I, I had to, I had to temper myself with psych drug withdrawal because for sometimes it took me months before I got certain sensations back or, um, you know, it, it's like I had to be realistic and go, okay, I, I can, if I, if I try to obtain pleasure or, or like if I, if I want to use a certain drug, then that's going to send me straight back into that cycle. But I have to make a choice, you know, which is, which is, you know, cause, cause I think at some level, like, you know, you're looking at like existentialism, right? You're like, okay, well, how do I want to live my life? It's like, if, if happiness was in front of me and if it was immediate, sure. But then what is my life going to look like a month from now, but you know, six months from now, a year from now. And, and so when you say peace, that's like, peace is like, almost like that's an easy foundation. That's a good foundation for a house right? Yeah. Is it built on peace? Because, because if you try to build it on happiness, <laughs> I mean, that can, that can go away that, yeah, it can be fleeting. You end fast. up with multiple divorces. That's, you, that's what you I know. think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You that's, know. I mean, that's drug addiction too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you're going right. chasing that moment of happiness, but when you wake up right. in the morning, you're just right back where you started yeah. or, you know, you're feeling yeah. worse than where you started. Well, and so then you need to continue using in order to find that sense of happiness. And soon that's the only thing yeah. you're so numbed that that is the only thing right. that provides you any sort of pleasure. And that's how you yeah. spiral out of control. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that's, that's kind of what Alan Watts was saying, like that once you reach that level of pleasure, then the only thing, you know, you're desensitized right. and then the next level and then, which can be kind of the hell of drug addiction because, um, you know, your, your receptors get desensitized. You got biological stuff going on to where you just have to use the drug to feel normal. And then you're in the hells, right? That's that literally that cycle playing out is. And that can I be another a trap for people that um, have great wealth as well. You yeah. know, a lot of very rich people are very miserable because they, they're, you know, they feel like there's nowhere to go from where they're at. They've, yeah. They've just built up and up and up and up, but right. you know, eventually, they're they didn't build any sort of foundation on something where, right. like you said, like you have to build the foundation with peace and then work your way out from there. If you're just um, using not even a drug, but just using money or whatever it is to to buy something, it yeah, you, you can right. apply that to so many things. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> with things, you could you can get into houses and cars and clothing and music equipment, whatever it is, and, and that stuff never makes you really happy. 
you're happy in the moment when you get it, but then it's like the next thing comes down the pike and you're like, oh, I got to have that. But I've seen people going through cancer treatment and, and, and going through heart disease and things like that that are in their last stages, in their last moments, and they're totally at peace. And it makes no sense at all, you know, to, to see a person who's facing death and be totally at peace and totally um, just okay with what's going on. And and for me on the outside, sometimes I'm like, that. I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I have that. But it's but it's also encouraging to see that they have that and they're going through that. And and it's not some facade. It's not some act. It's 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 very. Uh, even though I don't want to sound morbid, but it's 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 an awesome thing to see when somebody is at their their darkest deepest spot and they're totally at peace with it. Yeah. Do you think that uh, that peace can scare people sometimes into not wanting it? Yeah, could be. Because it sounds too good to be true. It's right. the old saying, if it's too good to be true, then it's too good to be true. It's that, you know, the with me, like, I'll, I'll, I'll catastrophize things in my mind, even if they're, like, little, as I'm, like, processing through them. And I've told you this. I have to feel through stuff so I can let it go. Right. And sometimes I feel through it for too long, and it actually cripples me. And um, it's like, you know, getting back to that peaceful place is almost like terrifying because it's so unnatural and it doesn't feel like it's something that you belong in because you've never truly had it. Right. When, you know, let's say for example, a lot of the clients that we work with, they grew up in this environment of constant turmoil and trauma and hardship. And then they start hearing about this, um, this peaceful way to live and they don't want it. Or they do, but they don't know how to get it, and they continuously sabotage their lives because it's like, I don't deserve peace. Right. And then peace becomes a fear. Like, does that make sense? We talked about that a lot on the most two recent episodes of My Voice where um, our, our guest was saying how bad they wanted to find recovery, but in the same moment, they knew that they weren't in a place where they were ever going to be able to achieve that, at least in that moment. Yeah. Like they needed, uh, they were talking about how they needed basically to just be um, put somewhere where they couldn't, they wouldn't be able to, to slip back in there because as bad as they wanted and knew that they needed to get clean and sober, um, they also knew that they weren't, capable at that point of making that decision and fully sticking to that by, you know, by themselves without a huge amount of support. Well, so, so over the years, we've seen so many clients that self-sabotage. To me, it doesn't really make sense. uh, But when you stop and think about it from their point of view, uh, in their minds, they're kind of screw ups. And and they'll tell you that I'm just a screw up. I was born a screw up and always going to be a screw up. And so it's a lot easier to screw up than it is to to say, you know, I'm going to fix my life and things are going to be better. That's scary. Uh, being a screw-up to them is easy sometimes, and, it, and it's easy to fall back into that, and it's a whole lot harder for us to come alongside them and say, no, you don't have to live like I, – I, I hear Carly saying that a lot. I don't, I don't have to live that way anymore. Yeah. And, and, it, and I get it I, I, after doing this for so long. Um, 
but it doesn't make sense to me. I, I think sometimes it would be so easy to just say, my life's going to be better and I'm going to do this and life's going to be great. But it can be scary. It, it can be terrifying to think that I've got a, I can live a different way. Well, let's, uh, I mean, putting that into perspective, like you were saying is, you know, imagine having nothing your whole life and then be given the opportunity to have something. Now you have something to lose. Right. That's terrifying. Yeah, that's what, I mean. That's what you're saying. It's if, like, if you, if you are just resigned to failure, you have nothing to lose exactly. But if you try to take responsibility for your well-being and you, and you try to succeed or get clean, whatever it is, and you fail, then that is worse than just failing in the first place by not even trying. But you're also in not your just, in you're your, not, well, yes. you're not failing yourself. And, and we've had clients say this. They say, I don't want to let you down. They'll tell a case manager, yeah. I don't want to let you down. And, and I always respond, it's not about me. This is about you. You're not, you know, I'm going to be here. Justin's going to be here. Kurt's going to be here. We're all going to be here if you, if, and when you do fall and we'll help you back up. But it's not about letting us down. But sometimes they struggle with that. They're like, I, I just want to, I want to make you proud. And it's kind of frustrating because it's like, it's not about making me proud. It's about you making your life better. It's, it's kind of interesting though, when they do say those things, it's like, they want to make you proud. They, they just met you. Right. They barely know you. And they're like, well, I don't want to let this person down. And sometimes that's all they have to latch onto for a moment in time. Well, right? I think that's, yeah. I mean, that's, um, from a psychological standpoint, I think that's like learned helplessness and codependency when you are dependent on other people and you've been neglected. Yeah then the only way you know how to like facilitate relationships is by giving too much a lot of the time. So I think yeah. in a lot of our, I think a lot of people that we work with come from places where they've not just been uh, neglected, you know, um, not everybody, but, but some people not just neglected by family, but you know, sy systemically, you know, they, they, um, the systems failed on multiple levels, whether it's the, whether it's family or, 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 you know, what, whatever the approach is, you know? Um, and I think that makes people like, they're looking for the tribal bonding because for them, that's, they, they can, they can become, um, they can become valuable. The only way they know how to get value. Some people, you know, for, for me, I think this was true too, uh, in a lot of ways, um, is by putting, putting themselves into a sacrificial role. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, and, uh, yeah, so I definitely see that with I've, people. I've been learning a lot about that actually lately. The the like becoming a servant when your calling isn't servitude, and um, you know, the, not to get too churchy on you, but that is a that is actually a redemptive gift is servitude, and not everyone is called to be that. Some people are called to be, you know, uh, prophetic. Some people are called to be uh, teachers. Some people are called to be givers, you know. And when when you're forced into this role, like a lot of our young people are, they're first they're forced into um, these other giftings that aren't actually theirs. So for me, when I was growing up, I was put into this servant place, and I'm not that. I'm not. That's not my redemptive gift. I can serve, and I and I'm happy to, but it's not where my foundation is. And 
I was forced into this role that my parents needed me to be. And then I became, you know, very con- destructive in my life because I was walking a path that wasn't mine. It was something that was forced on me. And having to walk back and reset that, you know, uh, I call it my, my timeline, reset my timeline in my life so that I'm walking on a path that's actually what my purpose was, was very difficult and it's terrifying to find that that hope within the hardship as we're building through things, you know. And I, I just find it so interesting as um, I'm working with these young people and they're discovering this on their own without me even having to say it. They're saying, like, you know, like my whole life I've been put into a box that's not my box. And, you know, this is where I should be, over here. And they start... Um, developing these skills and these understandings as they're building their resiliency and, and they're finding their their way as they're going and navigating the new world that they're in. Because when they come here, you know, the first thing that I tell a lot of these kids is when you're here, I'm going to treat you like an adult. And adults have to do hard things. Adults have to make hard decisions and adults have to do things that, you know, are very uncomfortable sometimes. But that's how you grow. And if you're not having a growth mindset, you're just going to stay in one spot and just live in that failure. So I really, uh, I appreciate you coming by, Jay. I think that we should have more conversations in the future. I think that you, me, and Kurt could probably talk for another two days (laughs) about some stuff. Um, I do apologize, Kurt. Um, you seem a little tired today, so I know I think that we all <laughs> seem a little tired today. So I know that uh, you're a little quiet. I was trying to bring you in as much as I could, no, but I, I I thought the only thing that I wanted to say probably was that um, I love uh, Jay was talking about you know material uh, wealth and and like how capital you know in in when I took my peer support training uh, we talked about physical capital you know mental capital social capital and. Uh, you know, that reminds me of uh, Paradise Lost from Milton, you know, and that's, uh, um, you know, you can you can be in a palace of gold, but still be in hell. So that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, stri- strive for peace. Yeah. That's what yeah. we're all trying to attain. Thank you guys for tuning in to Diag Nonsense. I'm your host, Justin Pendergrass. I'm here with Kurt Honak. I'll talk to you guys next time.